by saying that this is a really special episode for me, um, really for multiple reasons, um, but I'll focus on just two of them. Uh, the first one being that this is going to be our first episode that we put out on YouTube that will be going into the feed of subscribers. We do have a, a few subscribers. We got them after the last episode. Uh, the last episode was the uh, most successful in terms of downloads on iTunes thus far. It's also the most viewed YouTube video that we have out on this channel right now. So uh, there were some comments on it. I got some feedback. I'm just super excited about the whole thing because I think it's awesome that people found uh, the content and that people are you know listening in and it seems like they enjoyed it quite a bit. So um, that's definitely a big confidence booster. Um, and I also just wanted to thank everyone that you know provided feedback and provided comments. It definitely meant a lot to me. I'm super pumped up to continue to make content for you guys and hopefully um, you guys stay interested in, and hopefully you know the show gets better and all of that. So um, I'm looking forward to continuously growing the channel in terms of content and try to, to bring the best content I possibly can to you guys. But I'm super thankful for the subscriptions and the kind words. And uh, I want to just uh, hop on into the next reason why this is uh, significant. And this one's kind of a weird reason, but way, way back, I started a podcast that wasn't even actually a podcast, and it only lasted to episode five. Like, this podcast, like, was, wasn't even on iTunes, it wasn't even on, uh, you know, anything besides YouTube. I didn't really understand how to do the whole RSS feed and all that stuff. It's actually really not that difficult, but I didn't really understand how to do that. So it was really just a, a YouTube-only podcast. It only lasted five episodes, and it was really not good at all. Um, I just really wasn't I wasn't on the level, I think, that I am now in terms of just comfort. Like, even now, I think I've talked about this in, uh, you know, the first prologue episode. Even now, it's like I don't feel like a thousand percent comfortable, but I'm definitely getting there. You know, I definitely feel way more comfortable um, you know, each episode and definitely way more comfortable than I did back then. And it's and that, that in itself is kind of a confidence booster because you feel like, hey, you know, I can actually start to create things that I'm getting happier about. And I will say that, you know, I've, I've listened back to these episodes. Um, I was at work, so it was on a weekend and it's really dead on the weekends. Um, so I did this, the work that I needed to do, but I also had some headphones in and just listening to, to the podcast and, I can easily pick out things that I don't like, but I can also pick out things that I do like. And even me, who has a, you know, I think everybody's critical of themselves to some, you know, in some way, shape or form. But even me, I'm thinking, you know, I wonder what I'm going to do next with the show. I wonder what my next episode is going to be about. So today is going to be, like I said, more of a short episode. 
Um, episode six, though, I've gotten further than I did last time, and that to me is definitely a milestone to be excited about. Um, I want to get into the topics today, though, because there are some topics, and there's one that I'm going to briefly touch upon that I'd like to expand upon maybe in the next episode or the episode after that. Um, I am going on vacation next week. I did pick up a laptop, though, because right now I've just been rocking the desktop and a tablet. I didn't really want to uh, edit videos on the iPad, so I did pick up an older MacBook, and I kind of uh, boost the RAM up to 16 gigabytes. I got I got a uh, one terabyte SSD for it, so I'm going to be editing videos on my vacation. I probably won't be making videos. I probably won't be making podcasts, but I might. I'm thinking about it. Uh, I might bring my uh, my portable mic. It won't be the same quality. Uh, that's just how it has to be. I'm not going to take all of this stuff with me. It would just be too much. Um, but it would be compromised quality somewhat. But I'd still try to make it as best I can if that were to happen. So I'm contemplating doing that. I may or may not do it. But um, I'm going to try to make enough content to post next week for a few days um, I definitely want to enjoy my vacation though, so I'll probably, you know, be, you know, kind of spotty for the next week. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to talk about just some some various topics here. Uh, I wanted to kick things off with a, a nice little uh, a nice little topic that I'm just calling bad PR. Uh, it seems like I've talked a lot about bad PR in you know previous episodes, Sony's crossplay episode. Uh, I know I touched upon that quite a bit, um, but I wanted to get into it here. And we're going to start things off with uh, the Call of Duty 4 design director, David Vonderhaar. I don't know if I'm even pronouncing that name right. Uh, this one, I don't know if it's if it's really bad PR. He might just kind of be being a, you know. So let's just, let's just you know, t- say what happened. Uh, in an interview with Game Informer, Call of Duty Black Ops 4 design director, David Vonderhaar, couldn't help but laugh at the idea of Black Ops 4 coming to the Switch. So I guess... Um, they were. He was asked, with you know, in a gaming former uh, interview, if the game would possibly come to Switch. And apparently, um, through this source, apparently he laughed for, you know, a elongated amount of time before answering the question. And then he said like something stupid, like uh, he just makes the shoes or something like that. He he says something crazy. But apparently, the idea of the Nintendo Switch. Getting Black Ops 4 to him was comical, and he didn't really necessarily say why, and it's obvious because it's probably a power issue, um, or it's just he doesn't think Nintendo should have a Call of Duty game, but Call of Duty was on Nintendo platforms in the past. It was on the Wii, and it was on the Wii U, so it's not like it's you know the most outlandish thing that they could possibly do, but apparently to him it was hilarious, and he didn't really give too much of an answer and to me this isn't necessarily bad PR because it's not like people that own the other systems are going to be like hey because you said that about switch I'm not going to buy this on on my platform no it's it's just it just kind of seems like him being a dick to people that might potentially want his product on their system I mean there's switch only owners I mean I personally wouldn't want to just be a switch only owner but I know that there's switch only owners out there and, you know, they're probably hoping for a first-person shooter to come out on the system. Call of Duty's just not going to be it. But I, I just think that that response isn't really the best way to go about things because who knows? The Switch continues its success. Maybe Call of Duty will come to the Switch. If you 
you know, piss people off, it might not be a thing. <laughs> they might not want to buy it anymore. So not really super bad PR. I kind of just wanted to throw that in there because uh, I just thought that it was it wasn't really distasteful. It's not like I'm offended or anything. I mean, like I said, I have all these systems. It's not like, you know, I'm offended that they are saying that about Switch. I just think that it was kind of uncalled for that he reacted that way. And it's kind of awkward. At least I would think it was kind of awkward. So, uh, yeah, I'm not really sure what to make of that. So Black Ops 4 most likely not going to come to Switch, even though there was rumors back and forth and then it was kind of shot down and then more rumors and it's it's probably just not going to happen. Um, so we'll move on from that one. I just thought that was weird. Uh, now our second bad PR is going to be uh, a Sony CEO, Kenshiro Yoshida. He took over for uh, Kaz, I think uh, last year, I think it was. Might have been last year. He hasn't been, I don't think he's been the CEO for long. I probably should have looked that up. Um, so in Germany's IFA Electronic Convention, Sony CEO Kenshiro Yoshida said, and this is per uh, the Independent. Uh, it's a website. Uh, this is the first time I've actually heard of it. Apparently, it's a pretty um, popular website, though, and it seems like they have a lot of awesome news stories on there. I'll put a link in the description on the YouTube video because, um, actually, it's a really... Um, like Just just reading what he said and, and reading what, what they said about it afterwards, it's... Uh, it's pretty good. So uh, Germany's IFA Electronic Convention, uh, Sony CEO Kenshiro Yoshida said that PS4 didn't have cross-play be for Fortnite because they view their system as the best way to play. Uh, on cross-platform, our way of thinking is always that PlayStation is the best place to play. Um, he did go on and say other things, but it just seems like uh, really bad PR continues, and it seems like there's like kind of a miscommunication there because I believe we went back and revisited that topic where someone from Sony basically said that it's a, a, they're trying to look for a solution and they're confident they'll find one. So the fact that they are talking about this in this way and it's a CEO, I feel like there's a slight disconnect there on this whole crossplay topic. I feel like they haven't had a company-wide discussion on on what to do for this situation i think that's a little bit concerning to me so this is obviously an issue it's going to continuously be an issue but it doesn't seem like it's an issue that's going to be resolved anytime soon and if anything they'll probably bring this up for the playstation 5 as a new and exciting feature that they're featuring cross-platform play that just seems to be something that they'll do it's kind of like xbox one's uh you know, when they said, oh, we have backwards compatibility. It's like, well, yeah, the Wii U had backwards compatibility out of the box and you can actually use the physical discs. How is that a feature? It should have had it from the get-go. This is something that it should just have. And I think Sony just doesn't want to mess with it. And that's fine. You know, it's not the end of the world. But once again, when you have people constantly coming out and saying different things, it's like, can you guys please have a company-wide discussion in terms of what your approach is for cross-platform play, are you looking for a solution? Or are you going to be toting that your system is the best out there and you don't have to worry about cross-platform play? It's just, it's very bizarre. So it's once again, Sony's struggling with their cross-platform play. This is going to be a topic, I believe, we're going to be talking about for years to come. 
until PlayStation 5 comes out when Sony will probably change their minds and include it. They just don't want to mess around with it with PlayStation for right now for whatever reason. Uh, it doesn't make too much sense to me, but hey, if that's if that's the way they want to go about it, that's completely fine. So now we have one more, and this is in, from an interview with Trusted Reviews, and it's a 2K senior producer, Rob Jones, said that the game's virtual currency is an unfortunate reality in modern gaming. So, of course, he's talking about, uh, you know, 2K basketball games. Um, I've never played a 2K basketball game, so I'm just going to assume it's something similar to like Madden Ultimate Team where you can kind of go through the motions of unlocking things. But if you really wanted to try to get a player, you can kind of go through a card pack, which is essentially a loot box, and use real currency to purchase those items. And there's a chance you'll get a good card, and there's a chance that you won't. It kind of gives you the probabilities before you buy it but you don't really know what you're buying. It's kind of really just a loot crate in the form of a card box or a card pack, a booster pack. Um, that's pretty much what it is. So I'm assuming this is something similar. And he basically said that people don't want to grind out and and try to unlock this stuff on their own. So really um, having these microtransactions is actually helpful because they can just pay money, real money and get it. And he said, it's just kind of an unfortunate reality, but he says that it's necessary and it's, and this one, and this one, once again, kind of similar to the first one in a sense that this might not necessarily be bad PR because what he's stating is honestly fact at this point, right? Microtransactions, as bad as we, you know, hate them, they are kind of an industry standard now. Uh, most of the big games that you you see now have microtransactions, and this this started way before this generation. Um, especially when I, when I think back of like old MMOs, there was a lot of microtransactions. If you wanted to unlock costumes and stuff like that, little extra content. Um, and we really paved the way for this though, to really sweep us out last generation with all the DLC DLC. I mean, obviously there's a lot of content you're deciding to pay extra for that content, but realistically, given how advanced these consoles are and the consoles were back then, all of that content could have been included in the original game, but they just decided, hey, we will put out a product and then we'll release DLC. And as time went on, they were more malicious with this process. And now uh, we don't really see as much DLC now in terms of like big DLC um, you know, packs. At least last few years, I haven't really seen a ton of that going around. But it's more so now just microtransactions. You pay for smaller items with real money, and it just kind of adds up over time. I mean, Rocket League's guilty of it too. Um, but it, once again, I think that acceptable microtransactions are, you know, items that don't really affect the gameplay. So, say you just want to have like something aesthetic. I mean, that's completely fine. It's just something that doesn't affect the gameplay. But what Battlefront did last year where it's, you know, allowing advantages, that's an issue too. And I feel like Madden kind of falls under that that umbrella here where you can pay a ton of money and get a ton of great cards. You're not guaranteed it, but you could still actually do that. And someone that is paying a ton of money most likely is going to have a much better team than someone who's just playing through the challenges. So there is kind of a pay to win thing going on there. I feel like it's a lot more diluted in terms of how Madden is 
than it would be in Battlefront when you're having just supercharged weapons and different upgrades that other people simply don't have. So there's definitely different there's definitely different like levels of badness to each of these, but I think that they really just I mean it would be great if they could all just go away, but if they keep things to just purely aesthetic items, you know, that's not really a huge issue. But in terms of 2K, I've never played the basketball series. Um, I'm assuming, though, that this could give you somewhat of an advantage on your competition if you're getting really high-level players in card packs if this is how it works for 2K. I can't imagine it really working any other way besides that. So it's so it's not really bad PR. It just, it, once again, it's one of the situations where it sounds really bad because microtransactions have a really bad stigma around them for good reason. They're a lot of times really predatorial and it's just a, a bad a bad way, a bad trend where gaming is kind of heading and it's going to be for a long time. And really the only games that don't have a ton of microtransactions are a lot of the smaller indie games. Uh, you know, some Nintendo games don't have microtransactions. Um, but really, I mean, we helped pave the way for this last generation with... Uh, you know, the DLC, you know, and even aesthetic DLC, like the Elder Scrolls Oblivion horse armor. It's like, why are you paying money for an aesthetic item anyway? Like you should be able to unlock that back in the old days. If you wanted cool costumes and stuff, you could just unlock them in the game. But now it's just, no, everything's microtransaction, um, little big planet. If you wanted to buy costumes, you have to buy them with your actual money. They don't affect the gameplay. But once again, it's like, you would hope that you'd be able to just unlock these in game and it gives you more objectives to do it makes the game longer it gives you more incentive to play but now you can just buy stuff and it's just i mean what are you really paying for at the end of the day so not every game does it obviously but it's just really disappointing and that's something that um i think the biggest uh you know downfall of the game industry over the last you know decade is the emergence of these uh, microtransactions and DLCs and a lot of the DLC wasn't awful though I mean there was you know for Elder Scrolls like I don't mind paying an extra you know amount of cash for more to a story that's like just like a side area so I mean you had like a massive single player campaign right and you had massive side quests there was just so much content in there and if you want to sprinkle some more content like 12 hours of content on top of that I'll pay you some extra money for it. Like that's not a big deal because there's already hundreds of hours of content in there. But for some games that don't have that, it's just really disappointing. And this may or may not be considered bad PR, but you know, to me, it's just, it kind of still falls under that category because he says it's an unfortunate reality in modern gaming, but they're still going to do it. They still think it's necessary. So it's just, it's really disappointing and the way that gaming is kind of heading in that direction and it's just everyone wants, you know, reaching your hands out for your wallet when you're already paying quite a bit of money for a new game. $60 is almost $100 for a game that you may or may not play for that long period of time. So um, it's, it's just, it's kind of depressing. So we're going to move on to topic three. And this is a game that I actually have not seen the trailer for yet. And this is CD Projekt Red Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, I was a big fan of The Witcher 3. I thought it was an amazing game. Uh, I thought it was excellent. They did 
a phenomenal job. I don't think it was like revolutionary or anything like that, but I think for that genre, which I guess I'd consider like an action RPG, if uh, maybe. I think there was, I mean, I'd consider it an action RPG. Maybe people would consider it an action adventure, um, but I'd consider it like an action RPG um, open world, obviously. Um, but I mean, I didn't think that it, it like, you know, redefined the genre, but it was an excellent game. And it just like totally, it totally blew, blew my mind when I was playing it just because of how, you know, intriguing it was, how the story unfolded. You know, I just really, really was super into it. You know, the combat wasn't the best in my opinion, but it was still pretty darn good. And I think it fit the game really, really well. So there's a lot of um, upsetness and dislike about the Cyberpunk 2077 being a first-person shooter instead of a third-person shooter. Um, and I have some thoughts on this. I think that, personally for me, I think I do prefer third-person shooters over first-person shooters. I used to really be into first-person shooters, and um, that just used to be one of my favorite genres, like, years ago. But I think I played so many of them that now it's just kind of like, uh, whenever I see a first-person shooter, I kind of just turn away. I feel like everything's been done that can be done. And I just kind of was stale on it for a while, and I still kind of am in many ways. But for a lot of people that are complaining that this game is a first-person shooter and it's not a third-person shooter, I have to say that I really like that CD Projekt Red's going in a direction where they haven't really gone before. So this is going to be... They're going from a basically a third-person action-adventure game to a first-person shooter, and they're going outside of their comfort zone. And I think that that's a really underrated part about this game because we're so used to these developers, these big developers that find success, they stick to what they know and they just keep repeating it over and over again. I mean, these guys could no doubt keep on just pumping out Witcher spinoffs and, you know, different takes on the Witcher and they could continuously do that over and over again, or they could do something completely different and go outside of their comfort zone and make something that could potentially help a different genre in a different way. So while I'm not a huge first-person shooter fan, I expect this game to be extremely good. <laughs> I expect them to do an amazing job, and I'm really interested to see what their take on a first-person shooter is. And sorry, my my throat is like super dry. I've been talking like all day, um, but no, I mean I'm 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 really excited to see what their their take on a first person shooter is. If if it's anything like how The Witcher was in terms of how they viewed you know that type of genre, like that you know almost like medieval time genre, and I thought they did a phenomenal job on that. I thought the side missions had some really good depth to them. I thought the story was really engaging. Um, really the only complaint I have is the combat, but even that was serviceable. I thought it was actually better than serviceable and I had no, I had no real gripes with that game. I thought it was a really, really well-crafted game. This game I think isn't going to be any different and I want to see with, I want to see their take on the first person shooter genre because this is just, it's so, it's such a strange circumstance for this company to move on from something like that and to go into something like this. So I'm actually really, really excited. And for another company, I might not be as excited, but these guys have a track record of excellence. They treat their customers well. Their DLC plans were phenomenal. Their DLC is known as top-notch. 
Um, a lot of people liked their DLC packages for uh, The Witcher 3 better than the actual main story. So they're giving you quality content and it's uh, it's worth the money that you shell out. And this is one of the examples of good DLC. The Witcher 3 just offers awesome stuff. I believe Cyberpunk 2077 is going to be just a really awesome first-person shooter. It might not define the genre. It might not redefine the genre. But I think that if there is a company that can come out and really breathe fresh air into the first-person genre, I think that it's CD Projekt Red. I think they have some extremely high potential with this game. And I haven't even watched the trailer yet. I might watch the trailer and just think that maybe everything I just said was completely wrong. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off on watching the trailer as long as I can because I really wanted to go into this game not knowing anything, never seeing a, a bit of footage for it. And I'm hoping to, to get to that point because I just I saw the developer and I knew that, you know, that's just what I wanted to do with it. So uh, I trust them. I fully anticipate this game being phenomenal. And I have no worries about it being in first-person perspective. I know there's an oversaturation of first-person shooters. At least there was for a time. Um, I think this one, though, is going to be a winner. And I think that, you know, if you're concerned about it and you're disappointed about it, just take a step back and realize that this is CD Projekt Red creating this game and not like Activision or, uh, you know, Infinity Ward or anything like that. This is a brand new take on a first-person shooter um, from a company that is has a proven track record of excellence in the gaming industry. So I'm super excited about that. So this next topic I wanted to get into was one that I wanted to talk about for probably ever since the Philip Mewson situation, and that is uh, game reviews. And uh, I've been thinking just like random thoughts about, and I know other people have thought this before. It's not like I'm like the first person to ever think about this, but I was thinking the other day that, Game review scores don't really make a whole lot of sense to me anymore. And I know that there's like numbers involved and people are, you know, going to probably make an argument like they have like different, um, you know, different reasons for different numbers to go certain areas. And it's, it's just, it's very confusing in my opinion. So the biggest thing that I have about game reviews is that there's two completely different games completely different genres, trying to accomplish two completely different things, and they both get 8.8s. Like, what is an 8.8? It's not good enough for an 8.9. It's not good enough for a 9.0. It's just not, but it's not, you know, an 8.5. It's 8.8, somewhere in the middle, which makes sense. But when two games trying to accomplish two completely different things with two completely different genres are getting the same score, how is that possible? Like, I know, I'm sure there is a possible way. I'm sure there is. But to me, it's just, it's really strange. Like it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And then you have, I had this, this whole like conversation inside my head, like, okay, so how long is a game review accurate for? Is it always accurate or is it not? Because some people will say, oh, it's always accurate. But if you consider it always accurate and there is things in the game about graphics, about different things. Wouldn't that lower the review score over time if you are sticking to your review uh, format here? So say, you know, Ocarina of Time, it's reviewed, it got gets like a 9.9. They said the graphics are amazing. I don't know if that was a thing back then, but I'm just using this as an example. 
wouldn't technology and time age that review so that review score would have to be re-reviewed at some point? Or is it just that's what it got during that time and that's what it's going to stay as? And that's probably the more likely answer. But then at that point, at what point can you not listen to a review? And it's just I feel like game review scores kind of age a game in a certain way. Um, obviously, as the technology evolves, you would think that these newer games couldn't quite possibly score lower than the older games just in terms of if the game is really good and the technology because it's better than those other games. So I think that it's really hard for me to, to formulate what I want to say in terms of um, how I want to go about explaining this. And that's kind of been my focus, and that's one of the episodes that I want to really work on and really dive deep into what I'm feeling about these games. But I thought it was really interesting because I was thinking about this, and now I have this uh, apparently Polygon.com. I'm pretty sure it's Polygon.com. I'm not sure. I just know Polygon. I've never actually looked at their uh, you know system there, but pretty sure it's Polygon.com. Uh, they're changing the way that they are reviewing games and basically what they're going to do is they're going to ditch review scores and they're just going to put a Polygon recommends badge on there. And I think this is actually really cool because they pretty much go into the article. If you haven't read it yet, I'll link in the description as well for that. But if you haven't read it yet, it's uh, basically they're reviewing games based around if they recommend them or not. And this gives them opportunity to not have to play the entire game so they can review the game midway. And you don't have to have an entire review of the game. It's basically they're going to um, have in place uh, a structure pretty much where they reach a certain point or if they played enough of the game that they feel like they can honestly make a proper recommendation, then that's what they'll do. So it's not going to be based around numbers. It's going to be based around whether or not they you know, like the game, if they played enough of the game to recommend it to you and all of that. And I think honestly... That's like the most honest way of doing it, and I think it's the most effective way of doing it. And I'm pretty sure there's arguments that you could have like, hey, numbers actually do matter. It's a good way of you know scaling, but I feel like it's such an outdated way of reviewing games. And maybe I'm wrong, but it's just my opinion. It's, it's an outdated way of reviewing games, and I think there is a need for change. I think Polygon doing this will actually affect the rest of the gaming industry. Because Polygon is definitely a, a well-known website. They're one of the more popular websites. And, you know, they are switching over to this that I think a lot of other companies are going to do. Um, obviously, you know, people like to, to see numbers like, oh, it's a 10 out of 10. Or, oh, it's a 9 out of 10. 9.5 out of 10. 9.7 out of 10. Different things that, you know, make, make it look cool like on like the box. Like writing that down. Oh, it got five stars. But this one, though, I mean, recommendations, I think, it, it keeps the games more separate and more of unique, uh, like, on more of, a, like, a unique scale of, like, if you recommend it and why it's good. And I think it's more personalized to each individual game, where I feel like numbers kind of group it together in groups that it shouldn't be grouped in and genres together in genres that it shouldn't be matched with. This to me makes a lot more sense. And, you know, I'm going to, once again, I'm going to try to refine this, this thought process that I have because, I mean, it's, it's confusing for me. I mean, I don't, I don't really know what I'm trying to say here. It's really difficult. But no, I mean, that's, that's just, I mean, that's, that's something that I've been thinking about for a long time and I've been wanting to, you know, really, you know, go after that thought. 
and try to put it into words the best I can. So if I can't put it into words, I'm going to put it into writing. In the next podcast, I'm going to talk about um, you know these review scores a little bit more um, because there was a whole bunch of other things I wanted to touch upon too. Like, I mean, if you if you're writing a review, isn't there some kind of like if you ever like you know written something and then months later you go back to it and just be like you know I actually kind of disagree with that I dis- I disagree with what I what I you know with what I wrote down there I think getting a new game and playing a new game in the moment I think you think either you know not as good about it or a lot of times better about it than the game actually is and you know months later you have time to reflect and you'll either have a nostalgic effect to it or you'll have a negative effect to it just be like you know what I actually really didn't enjoy that game that much or actually man you know I I thought I didn't really enjoy that game but I miss it I miss playing it it was actually a really much better game than I originally thought it was so there's just different things like you know do reviews stores really mean all that much because you're playing it right as the game comes out just various stuff like that, and it's just all been kind of clustered, and I'm having a hard time separating it and just making it, like, you know, smooth evenly, you know, and or spread evenly across, like, my brain. It's just everything's jumbled around, and I'm having a hard time really picking apart what my problem is. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about these, these uh, review scores. I'm just like, well, what's my problem with them? What is my factual problem with these review scores being this way? And I think I briefly explained it earlier. I just don't like how certain games are getting the same ratings. It just it doesn't make any sense and how these ratings don't really reflect when you go back, you know, even a couple of years. It doesn't really it feels like the the numbers just don't hold up. And I feel like that's going to be a constant problem as technology evolves and as expectations grow higher. So, I think it's just there's some weird balancing issues going there. I think that Polygon though is on the right track with this. I like how they said that you know, they're not necessarily going to beat all of these games, but they're going to get far enough into the game to make a recommendation and to understand the game's mechanics and all of that. I think that is excellent. And I think that's a good way to do it. You know, I think it honestly really is. And, you know, that's that's kind of the way I feel about it too. And, you know, I just think that this is a, a good step in the right direction for them. And I hope that the rest of the gaming industry kind of you know, creates a better way of reviewing these games because right now I feel like it's not a bad way the way they're doing it, but you'll notice like in comment sections, it's just like, oh, well, why did Spider-Man get an 8.7? Like, you know, everywhere else it got a 9.0 or a 9.5. It, I mean, and in in some way though, you have to kind of agree with them because it's like, what does that mean? <laughs> what does the 8.7 mean? It's not good enough for a 9? Like, it's, I mean, obviously it's not good enough for a 9, but it's, once again, I'll, I'll get more into this at a later date. Um, once again, we're a little bit late. Uh, I promise next time we will have the Twitter topic of the day. Uh, I'm just, man, I'm, I'm so tired. Work's been crazy. Uh, like I said, I'm going on vacation next week. I just got a new laptop. Uh, maybe I didn't say I'm going on vacation next week, but I'm going on vacation next week. Um, uh, I just got a new laptop. It's not really new though. It's a really old MacBook, but, um, I was able to kind of boost up the Ram and the SSD and it's going to be a pretty decent editing laptop. I'm going to try to edit this podcast on there and see how it goes. And if it goes well, I'll probably record another episode of the podcast tomorrow. So that way I can post while I'm on vacation. Uh, I'll edit it up just in the nice relaxing, uh, relaxing uh, I can't talk anymore. The nice relaxing beach. I'll be editing a nice little video at nighttime, feeling the sea breeze come off the ocean. It's going to be amazing. 
Um, so I'm, I'm definitely, you know, get into that. And uh, if I have time tomorrow, like I said, I'm going to try to pump out one more video um, for next week. This one should go up before my vacation. I'm aiming for a Friday release for both the YouTube and the um, the iTunes, trying to release both of them. So, oh man, it's it's a lot. I'm super excited for vacation though. It's just a lot of packing and everything's just kind of been just a mess recently. Work's been crazy and I'm just, man. <laughs> uh, luckily the news hasn't been too crazy though for games. So I don't feel like I'm missing out on a whole bunch though. Uh, one more thing, apparently, um, let me double check this real quick. Apparently Nintendo's going to be having a Nintendo Direct at some point. Um, when that happens, uh, you can guarantee that there will be a podcast coming up very shortly after that to discuss what Nintendo's doing. Apparently it's to show off some, uh, I believe, 3DS games and also some Nintendo Switch games. Probably more Nintendo Switch games than the Nintendo 3DS. And, uh, man, I'm super excited about that. So, uh, once again, I thank everybody for listening in and watching. I'm trying to get more consistent with uploading my YouTube video uh, more closely to the launch of the episodes on, uh, or I guess the release of the episodes on iTunes. Try to get these a lot more streamlined down. It's obviously a heck of a lot easier to upload things to iTunes than it is to YouTube, but hey, it is what it is. So, I still don't have an actual intro, but to everyone that has been listening in, I thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day, and I can't wait to see you next time on Game Pinions Episode 7. See ya.